0: Well, Maybe you're uh, wondering why on earth I'm here today. On one level it's because Scott and Jill are sunning themselves in Tenerife uh, even as I I speak, but why am I here uh, doing the service? Well, on one level I've been doing this since 1979. Uh, I've been a a minister in the Church of Scotland. I became an assistant minister in 1982, uh, started my studies in the 1970s. And I've spied Donald Meek up there just hiding behind the balcony, who used to come in and sit in the back of my Hebrew class. And uh, so it's been nice to meet Donald just coming through uh, to Brighton's from time to time. Uh, on another level, why am I doing this today? Well, it's because I don't have a charge of my own. Uh, I retired uh, a bit early and actually retired through ill health because of mold spores in the man's, can you believe? and uh, that set off a lung disease which actually I've not been able to stop and uh, so I'm not able to work a full day, uh, let alone uh, a full week. Uh, This is actually the first service I've taken as a whole uh, since 2015. Uh, So the third reason I'm here is that Scott and Jill were a part of our congregation in Holy Trinity Westerhales. So um, anything that you like about Scott, it's entirely his own doing and uh, anything you don't like, just blame me, don't, don't blame him, okay? But it's lovely to be here and we're going to look at James chapter 1 together. You might want to turn it up in your Bibles and the reason we're doing that is because, is because Scott told me to do that. So obviously he's planning to look at the book of James uh, with you in the course of your morning services. And uh, we haven't got that much time together, so let me jump right in by telling you a story. One of the amazing things is that when God does shut a door, he tends to open other doors. Or as somebody said, if he shuts a door, he tends to open a window somewhere. And uh, I find myself now preaching from time to time, now that I've not got my own charge, as it were, uh, in, in places that I, I just never would have been in, uh, were it not for me becoming ill. And one of the places I go quite regularly is shots, prisoner, uh, is shot's Prison. And all the congregation there, bar one, are murderers. And I would never have been into that setting, were it not for me taking ill. And you know what? I love every minute of being there because there are some that are obviously there just to tick a box, but the majority that are there are there because they really want to be there. And especially when I meet with some of them one to one, I find that God is really doing things in their lives that I hope will last throughout their sentence and then into their release and beyond. I don't know if it will but I pray and hope it will. I want to share one story without mentioning the man's name. The chaplain asked him about a year and a half ago as he started to come to church, if you were to ask God for anything that he could do for you, what would you ask for? Now, if I'd been a prisoner, I would have said, I'm going to pray to God for early release. Do you know what he prayed for? Do you know what he said he wanted from God? This is a life where you can see God really is at work. He said, what I most need from God is wisdom. Because when I look at my life living it my own way, this is where I've ended up. He didn't know the story of Solomon. Remember that Solomon was 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 told by God, you can ask me for anything. And Solomon said, well, if I can ask you for anything, I'm asking you for wisdom because I don't know how to rule this people. Give me wisdom. And that's what this prisoner asked for. I need wisdom from God. I've taken literally hundreds of funerals. You know, the saddest thing I ever find at a funeral is when people request the hymn, I did it my way. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. And The Bible says, God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, but a terrible thing when a person who's lived their life by saying, I did it my way, ends up standing before God at the end of their life and God says to you, my friend, but your ways were not my ways. We need wisdom and it's not only prisoners that need wisdom. Every single one of us here needs wisdom and the wisdom that comes from God. and you remember how in James we can never deal adequately with all 18 verses, but I want to pick this out as the very core of what we read out of these first 18 verses, where James says this in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. that person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. They're double-minded, unstable in all their ways. In other words, God will give us wisdom so long as we are committed to listening to him and doing what he tells us. If we're going to weigh up his ways and think, well, I'll, I'll follow your wisdom if I like it, I won't, if I won't if I don't, then according to James, he's not going to speak to us we need to make that prior choice, that prior surrender. Lord, teach me your ways. Show me your paths and I will follow. Let's remember the context into which James was writing. We read something of that in veiled terms in the opening verses. James, he was the Lord's half-brother, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings. What is he speaking about there? He's speaking about to his fellow Jewish believers, and they'd been scattered abroad by the persecution that happened to Stephen, and and remember Boxing Day is when we remember that it's Saint Stephen's Day of the the good King Wenceslas fame. After the martyrdom of Stephen, the Jewish believers, the early church, they were scattered all over the place. Some of them lost their livelihood. It would have been difficult times. The Jews were known as an awkward people. The persecution continued with the emperor Claudius, who drove them out of Rome because they believed in a certain Christus, in other words, Christ. They were living in difficult times in the Roman Empire. I don't know what you're facing. Sometimes when I was a minister, I've been a minister, as I say, since 1982 and had to give up in 2016. I was a minister in Orkney and then Thurso and then Wester Hales in Edinburgh. And as I looked out over these successive generations, I could see folk that had lost children. through drowning, through fire. I could look out and see people who were having to visit their loved ones in a coma, sometimes for years. I could look out and see people that had been betrayed by a spouse or whatever, or a friend. I could look out and I knew the stories of some of these people were stories of abuse. At least a third of all the women in Hills had been sexually abused. And just as these Jews that James was writing to, sometimes life can be hard and it can be dark. And James recognises that for his fellow Jews, his fellow Jewish believers in Jesus. And he says, you need to ask God for wisdom. And if you ask it, he'll give it. And Let me just emphasize as I say that, that the wisdom that comes from God, as I've implied earlier, it's not our wisdom. It doesn't make sense to us. Think even of Christmas as we've been celebrating. Does a baby in a manger look like the Savior, the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world? Isaiah described them as a a branch that grew out of Jesse's stump. Jesse was the father of David. You'll have heard the prophecy in the lead up to Christmas. He was the father of David, the father of the royal line. This is what the royal line had been reduced to, a man and a woman and a baby lying in a feeding trough because there was no room for him anywhere else. And yet that was the wisdom of God. Move on through the years from the crib to the cross. If you'd looked at the cross from a human point of view, as Isaiah the prophet said, this is what we would have thought that here was somebody being smitten by God, being afflicted by him, being punished for his own transgressions. God has caught up with this man. But the wisdom from God said no. (laughs) He was being wounded for our transgressions. He wasn't being punished for his own, but upon him was being laid the punishment of our sins that means we can have peace with God. So, the crib and the cross, it's an odd-looking king and it's an odd-looking kingdom. What does he say to those who want to be citizens of his kingdom? Does this sound like the way of conquering the world when somebody strikes you in the right cheek? Show him the other cheek. How often should I forgive someone? Well, seventy times seven. Peter thought he was doing well by saying, Lord, maybe I should forgive them seven times. The rabbi said that you should forgive somebody three times. And Peter must have thought, well, I'll improve on the rabbis, I'll multiply it by two and I'll add one. Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? Should I do it seven times? What does Jesus say to him? No, not seven. Seventy times seven. And that's not meant to limit to 490. It means you live a lifestyle of forgiveness. What sort of crazy kingdom is this where Jesus says to its would be citizens, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you need to be servant of the least. I'll show you what greatness is. And he takes a basin and a towel and he kneels and washes people's feet. Friend, any idiot can do what I do. Those who are great in the kingdom. Let me tell you a story about Fiona Castle, Roy Castle's wife. The minister of the church she went to found her on her hands and knees when he came in one day, mopping up the mud from the prams and footsteps after the mother and toddler club, because nobody else was willing to do it. An odd king, an odd kingdom, an odd wisdom it hardly surprises that god's wisdom unfolds in curious ways and that's why we're also told in james counted all joy verse 2 my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds that makes no sense whatsoever from human wisdom but this is god's wisdom For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's under trial that true spiritual fruitfulness emerges. Our faith becomes strong. We're strengthened to endure for Jesus, and there's an overspill of fruit for the kingdom. I have in my pocket here something that I want you to imagine it's a sugar cube. I thought a, sh- a sugar cube would be too small. I last told this story in Schott's prison and I didn't think I'd get a sugar cube through the security anyway, so I just found this block of stone. I want you to imagine it's a sugar cube as I tell you a story about a man called Richard Vermbrandt. He was imprisoned in Romania for his faith in the days of communism. He spent 18 years in prison for no other crime than believing in Jesus as Lord and preaching him. He says that in these 18 years they cut or burned 18 holes in his body. They broke every bone in his body, some of them several times over. But you know what he says, alone in my cell at night I danced for joy. He made the decision on day one. He saw a guard torturing somebody and torture was a daily occurrence. And he saw a guard torturing someone and he made the decision, Lord, that man has not got a corner in his heart for anything to do with you. And I make the decision now. I don't want to have a corner in my heart for Satan anywhere. And you know, at the end of his 18 years, they led him in through a door into a room. They led his wife in through another door. He'd been told that she had died. It was part of the psychological torture. She'd been told he was dead. And yet there they were meeting face to face. And she ran to meet him and he held up his friend, his hand and he said, stop. He said, I want the world to know That I am coming from the joy of Christ in prison to the joy of Christ in freedom. He said the communists gave us musical instruments to praise the Lord. And this is when he was speaking afterwards and he would clink clink and he said it was my chains. This is the day, clink clink, this is the day, clink clink, that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I met somebody who owned the house where Richard Vermbrandt was taken to upon the release and they said that their father, who lived in that house, was not a Christian. Richard Vermbrandt took off his shirt the first night their father was converted on the spot. They realised nobody would endure that for a lie. Where does the sugar cube come in? Around Richard Wurmbrandt there grew a community of faith in that terrible place. A community built on Christ and the ways of Christ, citizens of the kingdom not following the wisdom of this world, not living in revenge, not living in hatred. And somebody smuggled in a sugar cube a prisoner that was ill. Their daily diet was sometimes nothing and sometimes watery soup with rotten vegetables or fish eyes. Somebody smuggled in a sugar cube for a sick prisoner. That sugar cube was passed round for years. It was never eaten. as one passed it to another in the name of Christ. This is the wisdom that's not of this world. The wisdom that we can receive from God, the ways of God, so much so that we can count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. Friends, if I can speak personally. There was two or three years when I was in my bed most of the time. And then I was able to speak maybe for 10 minutes. Maybe you're wishing these days were still there. (laughs) But during that time I got to know God better. There were times when I thought everything had ended, and he would wrap his felt compassion around me. Did I understand everything that was happening, no, but I knew that I was held in unutterable unfailing love as i look out over you i don't know you as well as i knew my people in stronsay and orkney and thurso or in wester hills but i know that in this coming year every one of us needs the wisdom that comes from god Especially when, like these people, we're facing difficult times. Let me close with a story that's not my own. You've maybe heard of Catherine Marshall. She was married to Peter Marshall, who was a famous Scottish preacher in America, chaplain to the Senate, I think. And He died at the age of 46. Maybe you've faced the death of a loved one, maybe you're watching a loved one in the last stages of their life. And she could not understand why God would take away her young husband at the age of 46 when he was so much needed, especially in his own family by his own children and wife. And she said one day she was just sitting before God with that confusion as usual and she just felt as though God had wrapped her around in cotton wool. And she said, after that experience, I knew nothing more than before the reason for my young husband's death, but I knew there was infinite grace for today. And there was hope for tomorrow. Friends, where do we hang all this? What's the coat peg we hang into this? What's what's the condition of this? It really takes us back to the beginning. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. You probably heard that over Christmas and New Year's, the sound of music come on yet again. James, A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, he hadn't always been. He once thought his brother, his half-brother, however the right term to refer to Jesus in relation to James is, he once felt he was completely mad, as did the rest of his family. But something had happened. And now this was his relationship with Jesus, I'm his servant. he's my Lord." He doesn't boast that he was his half-brother. I'm his servant, and he's my Lord. Friends, I've been a minister for almost 40 years. Can I honestly say this? My greatest sadness is that over the years, there have been many church people who have never, ever, ever come to that place of surrendering to Jesus. They've been baptized, they come to church, they're maybe elders, they take communion, they read their Bibles, they pray. We can do all of that, but have no relationship with Jesus. An old lady in my congregation in Thurso, she said, I've been coming to church all my life. She was in her eighties. And she said, but I still think there's something missing. I said, have you ever asked Jesus into your life? And she looked thoughtful and she said, No, now you say it. I've never asked Jesus into my life. I said, Have you ever asked him in to forgive you for all your sins? That's why he died, to pay for your sins. No, I've never asked him in to be my saviour, to forgive me. Have you ever asked him to take over and be your Lord? No, I've never asked them to do that. And then she said this, but after you go, I've got the house to myself. So what's to stop me doing it then? A churchgoer all our life up to the age of 80-whatever. But never a Christian. Never a servant of the Lord Jesus. It's the only way that the rest of James is going to work for you, friends. As Scott unfolds it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. If you don't begin there, this wisdom from God will seem like madness and what Scott is trying to do and share and say will seem like madness and it will just get you angry. Have you ever asked Jesus into your life? Not asking you come to church, you sing in the choir, you're an elder, a Sunday school teacher, and you do all of that, and have no relationship with Jesus. What's to stop you beginning today if you've not begun? Let's just pray together. Let's sit with that thought. I never presume ever since that experience with that lady in her 80s. And you, an elder who became a Christian in his 80s, despite being an elder for 40 years or more. And you, an organist who became a Christian in her 80s, despite being an organist for decades. Let's sit with that thought. Simple, simple thought. Only pride can resent it. Only pride. It's the only thing that stops people coming to Jesus. Only pride. Foolish pride that can make you lose your soul for eternity. Have you ever asked Jesus in? Simple question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. It's between you and the Lord entirely. And how you react to that question determines where you'll spend eternity and it determines whether you'll ever understand God's wisdom. New life can begin from this point today if in your heart of hearts you simply say, Lord Jesus I've never seen it before, I've never done this before. I feel so foolish being the age I am and never having, never having properly started, a walk with you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for all my sins. Be my teacher. Show me the ways of God. Show me the ways of your kingdom as one of its citizens. Show me your ways, your wisdom. Teach me and help me to follow. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Even now, fill me with your Spirit. Let me know you're with me and I'm with you. And you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me throughout the whole of this new year, throughout all eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.